We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Uh, meet me in 1 Samuel chapter 11. So I want to tell you the story of 1 Samuel 11. It starts with a guy named Nahash the Ammonite. Okay? Let's jump right into Old Testament random chapter of, of, of the Bible. You probably have never heard this preached. I've never heard this preached. I've never preached this. Let's go for it together. Nahash the Ammonite shows up with his army in, in, in like in front of Israel. And basically in old medieval times, you know, ancient biblical times, it's like, we're ready to fight. What are you going to do about it? Israel like looks at the army, gets a little scared and says, form a treaty with us. Okay, we don't want to fight you. You're really big. And Nahash responds and says, I'll form a treaty with you. Um, how about um, I gouge out every right eye of your soldiers? Um, which, is, which is a really shameful thing to say and a shameful thing to receive. It's basically, um, if that happened, all of the army of, of Israel would be um, unfit for military. In biblical times, you had a shield. You'd hold it with your left hand. It would cover your left eye. And so if you're missing your right eye, you can't see what you can't fight. And so you're unfit for, the, for, for war. It would also make you unfit to shoot a bow. Okay, So that's, his, that's Nahash's um, proposal to Israel. Um, and they, Israel, responds like this. They say, well, give us seven days. And we'll talk to everyone in our country. Remember, no social media, no cell phones. It's going to take a while, right? They got to like word of mouth it. And after that, we'll see if someone can save us. And then we will come out to you. We'll come out to you. Scholars uh, say that, that in this like negotiation period, they used really ambiguous Hebrew language. It meant either... We'll come out to you, i.e. we'll surrender to you because we don't have an army. Or, hey, once we travel around Israel, maybe there is going to be something that stirs and maybe we'll come out to you and fight you. And so they use ambiguous language. Kind of like this week when I was raking, uh, Lucy, my youngest, came out to me and said, Dad, um, there's these kind of like bread things in the pantry with little black chunks in them. And I was wondering if I could eat one of them. And I said, you mean a cookie? And she said, yes, like that. So it's, you know, we use ambiguous language as well, okay? So, so they bought some time with their language, okay? And they're, they're going around the country, going around the country. And last week we met Saul. Saul hears about this. 
And he, um, it says in verse 6, that the Spirit of God rushed upon him. He felt incredible anger towards the situation and a heart to protect. And so Saul kills this cow, okay? And Braveheart style chops it up and sends it to the four corners of the country and says, if you don't join me, this is what I'm going to do to all of your livestock. Basically, like you're not going to eat forever. Okay, so you, you need to. You need to join me. Uh, Israel rallies around. They get this big old army. And um, uh, at night, they send out three troops, like three groups of people. And they attack the Ammonites. And they whoop them. Like they toss their salad, they whoop their sauce, however you say it. They do a great job. Um, it takes them a little bit longer than anticipated, but it says uh, later in the chapter that not two of the Ammonites were together after the attack. Um, there's, so there's a bunch of Ammonites scattered all over the place. Uh, the Israelites grab a few uh, prisoners of war. They bring them to Saul. And they say, hey, should we kill them? And Saul goes, no way. Let's show mercy on them because today God has brought salvation to our people. End of chapter. Question, what in the world do a whole bunch of people from Cincinnati care about chapter 11? I mean, come on. Is that just like a nice story? Hoping that someone like Dallas Jenkins like makes a good movie out of this or something? What does God have for us today on October 30th, 2022? I am so convinced that he wants us to hear this chapter today for our church. The Holy Spirit wrote it, and we're going to learn from it. Are you ready? Um, here is the wrong way to read this text. This is, um, I call it dude language. So ladies, just welcome to the mind and heart of a man. Here's how we think, okay? Um, I said that one time. I was like, ladies, you want to know what's going on in the heart of a man? And I, I remember one of you ladies go, no. <laughs> I'm going to go for it anyways. Here's how us guys think, ready? Uh, verse one, follow along with me. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up to besiege Jabesh Gilead. Oh man, all these random Old Testament names and places. Ugh. I'll just skip. Okay, well, maybe there's a good part coming, okay? And then you read verse 2. Then Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition, I'll make a treaty with you that I gouge out all your right eyes. So guys think, oh, that's pretty cool. That sounds, okay, maybe I'm kind of into this now. And then, and then you keep reading, you keep reading, you're like, what's going on? What's going on? You get to verse 6. Let me re read verse 6 with us, okay? Here it is. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. And we go like this. Well, I'll take some of that. Well, that'd be nice. Spirit of God rushing, Sweet. And then you read the, the, the last part of the chapter, and Saul is being nice to people. Like verse 12, all the way on down to verse 15. And this is how we react. Wait a second. I thought Saul was a bad guy. And he's like being nice and stuff? I don't get it. 
Where's breakfast? Let me start my day. Am I right, guys? And so we, we, we're, we're eating our breakfast and we're like, Lord, man, I got a hard business call today. And you go, I want to I live by God's Word and I like, want to use it in my life. And so I pray, Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would rush upon me in this business call. I pray that I would like do awesome in this call. I need the Spirit. And that's how we, that's how we read this text. Here is a better reading. Chapter 10 uh, ends with, with a question. It goes like this. Again, 9 and 10, we saw Saul being appointed or set apart as king. In the very end of 10, the question is asked, how will this fella save us? Like really, how is he going to do it? There's a word that is repeated three times in this chapter and it's the word yasa in Hebrew. It means uh, Y-A-S-A. It means to save or deliver, which my oldest daughter, Addie, was a yasa lifeguard at the YMCA this summer. And uh, there was no kids that needed saving or delivering, but every time she was lifeguarding, she was ready to save or deliver with his, her fanny pack, right? That's what lifeguards do. Same word, redeem, deliver, salvation. Let's find those three words together, okay? Verse 3, the elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days respite that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then if there's no one to save us, ESV says, we will give ourselves up to you. NASB says, we will, we will see how it goes or we will come out to you. But if if no one is to yasa us, then we will come out to you. Let your eyes find verse 9. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by the same time the sun is hot, this is Saul speaking, you shall have yasa, you shall have salvation. And then in 12, then the people, this is the end of the story now, then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put him to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked Yasa, the salvation in Israel. Okay, so what's the answer? How will, chapter 10, how will this fellow save us? How's he going to do it? The answer is found in verse 6. Let me read that one for us. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. Friends, look up here for a minute. The reason why the Israelites were saved was because of the Spirit of God. Salvation didn't come to Israel just because they had a king. It was because... The king had Yahweh's spirit. I'll say it in different words, in different ways, just so we can uh, turn this idea over. So the kingdom itself, it wasn't saved just because they had a king in place, right? We've seen that in, in, in the preceding chapters leading up to this. 
God doesn't save by God's people manipulating God or using gimmicks to get Him to do what they want. God is bringing salvation and He's doing it through His Spirit. And His Spirit is working through the King now. So the title of today's message is Yasa. So a little, little Hebrew education for us. And um, if you're visiting here, what we try to do is we try to um, communicate the sermon in a sentence so that you can uh, have handles to, you know, when you're going off to lunch, say, well, what do you think of the sermon? Instead of like, well, I didn't like his outfit or I thought he could have been this or da, da, da. It's more so, what did you think about the argument of the text? And then how does it apply to your life? That's what we're shooting for today, Okay. Uh, and let me know if you don't like my outfit, and I'll work through that, okay? So let's talk about Saul first, and then let's talk about the Holy Spirit, okay? Again, last week we met Saul. Oh, I didn't even give you the, ser- the sentence. Forgive me. Here's the sermon in a sentence. Ready? Just look at what the Spirit can do, okay? Just look at what the Spirit can do. That's, that's what I want to argue. That's what you're going to see. And that's what I want us to talk about as a church and community groups at lunch, one-on-one, things like that. All right, so let's, let's start off with Saul. Last week, again, we met Saul. What would you guys say? Good guy or bad guy? <laughs> what about good guy or bad guy from what you could like, remember from childhood hearing Bible stories? Good guy or bad guy? Yeah, kind of a bad guy. What, what's going on here? Like he's starting off good. It's confusing. It's a really, he's a complex character in the Scriptures. Like what in the world is God doing by, by honoring, blessing Saul's leadership? I thought, I thought they were wrong for appointing Saul. Like that's not what God like wanted? That wasn't his will? Like he wanted a king. We learned in Deuteronomy that the people were to look and ask for a king in due time when they settled the land. They weren't wrong in asking for a king, but then they looked for a guy that wasn't like God's man. Didn't have God's character. Didn't do the things that God wanted him to do. They just liked him. He looked good. He was a head and shoulders above everyone else. And God said, "Mm, listen to their voice. And so why is God supporting Saul now? He's causing him to succeed. I remember um, I was sitting with two other guys in a coffee shop in town, and we were working through these hard, hard questions as we were preparing to feed our flock of 1 Samuel. And uh, when we were talking about um, 1 Samuel 8 and, 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 and Saul and the complex character, and why is God like showing support to Saul? I thought he was a bad dude. Like, doesn't, what's going on? There was this, there was this mom that came up to our group, okay? And um, it was the mom of a couple that came to me and asked me to marry them. Um, and this man and woman, young couple, uh, one was a believer, one was not a believer. How did I know that? I just asked them. I asked them, hey, are you a Christian? Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? One said, oh, yeah, absolutely. And one said, what? No. 
I said, oh, okay. I got to share the gospel with them. It was a wonderful, like, evangelistic time. But um, at the end of the day, um, the non-believer didn't want to become a Christian. And so I said, hey, um, my authority goes well beyond me. I'm a man under authority, and I, I need to obey this. And obedience says that I can't honor, bless, and support a marriage that is unequally yoked. I can't, I can't link or connect a man and a woman that's one is a Christian and one is not. And they were a little like offended and hurt. They were like, why don't you just marry us? It'd be easier if you could just marry us, right? And, but we, and we worked through it and it was good. And we shook hands at the end. And so this mom, okay, she comes up to us and I, I meet her. I say, hey, what's your name? And she said, well, I'm the mother of the couple that you didn't marry. And I said, hey, you know, <laughs> nice to meet you. How's so-and-so doing? And she said, well, they got married. And in front of these two guys, and in front of this mom, I said, oh, if I can do anything to help that marriage, I'll do it. Free, like, marital counseling, if they need any resources, or I would love to be in support of that marriage. All right, question for the church. Ready? Was I being inconsistent in my ministry to this mom and to this family. How could you do that, Newman? Uh, you know, this week you say you won't support it, and now you're saying I'll do anything to support it? What was the change? Want to know what the change was? They got married. They got married. And Mark 10 says that when people get married, when they make a vow before God and others, God puts them together and let no man bring them apart or take them apart or however it goes. Mark 10. And so the difference was that they got married. And it wasn't my role to take them apart now. It was my role to support. One is still a non-believer. One's still a believer. Uh, question, does the counsel that that, that believer should we give her the counsel to leave and divorce because she sinned in marrying? No, no, no. Now, because things have changed, they got married. Now our counsel is First and Second Peter. You, you be a wife that is a good witness in your home to a non-believer. You let your light shine. You share the gospel with them, with your words, with your deeds. You be a joyful woman in the home right? It's different. It would be kind of like this. Let's say one of our own, one of our members, one of our single gals gets pregnant. We just had an announcement about um, how to support a, a, a woman if she gets pregnant, right? What if someone from our flock gets pregnant um, out of wedlock before marriage? We'll, we will preach purity from the text. We will say, ladies, Fellas, abstain from sex before marriage. Do not have sex outside of marriage. It is, it is God's intention that you would love a man in marriage. But people sin, don't they? We're humans. We make mistakes. So what should we do as a church? Should we kick them out? Yeah! No way! 
That was a bad decision. We never want to talk to you again or see you. Figure it out on your own. No, no. What should we do? We should say, hey, were you wrong? Yeah. Have you repented? Yeah. Come on. Let's walk together. We're not going to celebrate the sin, but we're going to walk with them and, and help them through their pregnancy and, and, and pray and help them through this decision. Should, should she give it up for adoption? Should one of us adopt it? Should she keep it? Should we marry them? All these things. We're going to walk with that person. So it's not two-faced. Was I being consistent in this marriage? It changed. Is God being consistent from this Saul kingship thing? Yes. So it's kind of like this. God, here's what he was thinking. This is the kind of man I want for a king. I want him to follow me with all my heart, with all his heart, soul, and strength. I want him to be a man of the word. I want him to read it. I want him to copy every word every day. Do you remember that text? Right? And then Israel asks for this kind of king. God grants them what they ask. He still wants a king. And God is committed to show his people what he's like through a government having one king. Because God wants to show this greater story of kingship. He wants to teach His children more than what's just going on. And so in, a, in essence, it's like the Spirit rushing on Saul is God's way of saying yes, yes, yes to King. Even though the way that it happened was pretty muddy and murky. So here we have God's new chapter or the new way He works. Not through judges. Now He's working through kings in the history of Israel. Saul. Cool? Are we straight? Okay. Holy Spirit. Let's talk about Holy Spirit. Okay. So the Holy Spirit worked a little differently in the Old Testament than he does now in the New Testament and beyond, okay? One of the biggest questions that I get asked about the Holy Spirit is they're reading Psalm 51, okay? Psalm 51 is David's uh, chapter where he takes a spiritual bath before the Lord, right? He sinned with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51, he was confronted and he goes, against you and you alone have I sinned. And he, it's, it, if you ever need to deal with your own sins personally, read Psalm 51. It'll teach you. It'll walk through with you how to get right before the Lord, okay? Verse 10 goes like this. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. We love that one, right? The next verse goes like this. Cast me not away from your presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And the New Testament reader goes, what in the world does that mean? Does that mean if I sin, God's going to take His Holy Spirit from me? And we go, no, 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 wait. But it says it in the Bible. And I, what's going on, right? This is what's going on. So 
in the Old Testament, God, through His Holy Spirit, um, worked and appointed and came upon people for certain times to equip them for certain tasks. That's what He did in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, okay, He doesn't depart. Like, take not Thy Spirit from Me. Lord, I sinned. I pray that You wouldn't remove Your presence from Me. In the New Testament, when someone repents of their sin and places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they receive Christ. God has said, I will give you my spirit. I'll change your heart of stone into heart of flesh. And I will seal you until the day of redemption. You're going to be safe all the way to glory. And I'm going to give you my spirit to indwell you. He's going to be your comforter, your teacher, your guide, your friend. Your, your, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be better than when I was here on earth, Jesus said. So, was Saul a Christian? <laughs> I don't, I mean, I, I, I can't make that judge. Praise the Lord if we see him in heaven one day. But from the pattern of his life, and we're using New Testament language, was he a Christian? Was he a follower of Yahweh? That is how the Old Testament would say. The pattern of his life would say, no. Yet the Spirit rushed upon him and equipped him to be king of God's people. These are deep waters to, to wade through with regards to Old Testament theology and the study of pneumatology, the Holy Spirit. So the rushing, brothers and sisters, the rushing of the Holy Spirit is a unique Old Testament verb. There's only one other time it's used in the Scriptures, and it's of the other super complex character in the Old Testament. Kids, who is the muscle guy? Come on. who is? That's right. Yeah. The only other time it's used in the Bible is of Samson. So we got Samson, we got Saul, where the Spirit rushed upon him to equip him to do specific tasks so that God would get the glory. It's the only other time. So the Spirit's rushing, friends, is God's affirmation of the position of king over Israel. So if you're looking for some application um, in, in this text, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh Lord, send your spirit to rush upon me for this certain task. Uh, I think it would be more appropriate um, to pray like this. Wow. Look at what the Spirit can do to a man. Because in, in this passage, it says that he was in a field. So he was kind of like farming. The Spirit rushed upon him. And now he's functioning as a warrior king. Wow, look at what the Spirit can do. That's remarkable. And that, that's what we're talking about, right? So like maybe just to give a little, a little glimpse or a flutter of application, it would be like spouses, like if you're married. And if you're, if you're like going like this, Lord, will you have my marriage be like this forever? Will my spouse ever be like hit the expectation that I'm praying for? 
Like I'm praying that you would redeem this marriage. Would you help help here? Would you Hebrew? Would you yasa this marriage? I'm committed. I, I'm not going to leave, but I don't want to live miserably forever. And so you could pray this yasa prayer and recognize what the Spirit does to a man. What the Spirit does to a woman. It, that God, through His Spirit, can move. And it can move a totally hopeless person to a person that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. It can move a person that is helpless to a person who is humbly walking with God. 22nd version of my mom's testimony. Many of you have met my mom. Pre-Christ, she was a swearer. <laughs> she had a mouth like a sailor, right? She came to Christ. And she didn't want it anymore. The Spirit of God took that desire from her life. Did He do it with all of her sins? That's for another sermon. But No. He didn't do it with my, he forgave all my sins, forgave all her sins, but she still has residual indwelling sin. Again, another sermon. So she still struggles with the flesh. He doesn't with all of our sins, but some of them he does. It's a beautiful thing. Wives, husbands, hope in God through the Holy Spirit to work. If I was to say this, um, with New Testament language, I would say it like this. Um, John 15. <laughs> we just keep coming back there. John 15. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. So friends, if you are a non-believer here today, if you, if you know in the deepest part of your heart, I am not a Christian. I've been playing the game. I come to church with my mom and dad, or I've been coming to church my whole life. And, but I've never, I don't know God. I just... I, I've just jumped through these circles my whole life. If you don't know him, um, from this passage, we would say, you need to be yasad. <laughs> you need to be saved. You need to be redeemed, set free, delivered from your sins. And how to be delivered is the New Testament says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be what? You will be saved. So if you believe in him, that Jesus will take away your sin. He'll forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you'll be saved. Be saved. If you are a believer today, and you're hearing this wonderful news of the Holy Spirit's power and his ability to work in people's lives, it is often easy to take, to receive it like this. To receive... Oh, sweet. The Holy Spirit is going to work in my life. And it often leads us to thinking in a passive or apathetic way. Here's how it comes out. I'm going to let the Spirit take, take control of that one. Right? And you never said that or thought that? Now, it is true because the Spirit is in control and He does work. But God loves to work through his people. He loves, in military term, as the general commander, he uses his army to gain ground on the gospel. 
In family terms, the father loves to use his children. Solomon speaks against this idea of reacting uh, against the spirit or God-like things like, oh, oh, the Lord will take care of it. He says the horse is prepared for battle, but what? The battle belongs to the Lord. Proverbs 21, 31. So you don't just go, hey, the battle belongs to the Lord. Let's just like, whatever. But you prepare your horse. You work hard. Everything that you can control, you do it. And at the end of the day, you trust the Lord and give God the glory. Why? Well, the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? So, let's land the plane. If you today are looking um, for yasa, for, for to be set free, to be delivered or redeemed in a certain or particular situation, and I don't want to narrow this application so much, so I'm going to just try to keep it as broad as possible. If you are looking for yasa in a relationship, This is how the New Testament believer should respond from this passage. Hey, if the Spirit equipped Saul for a certain task, for a certain time, the New Testament believer is equipped with the Spirit all the time. (laughs) He's not going to depart. So the question would be, here's the New Testament response. Holy Spirit, what are you calling me to do? Where are you leading me? What is this certain task? This question like puts your life in total surrender unto the Lord. Romans 12 would say it's a living sacrifice. The prayers would look like this. Lord, I need you to help me in this situation. I'm saved, but I need your Spirit to redeem this situation. Would you help here, I know I've read in First Samuel 11 that he has power. I'm going to trust that same power is at work in my life and in their life to redeem this situation. So it might look like this. Maybe, hey, it's obedience to the Spirit to wake up in the morning and get you out of bed to get in the Word. That would be power. To pray for your spouse, but also to be willing. Lord, you're waking me up. I'm going to be obedient unto this. It, maybe it's like leading your family. Like, oh no, this is like the scariest thing you could do, Lord. Give me a place of leadership over people that are dependent upon me. I could never do this. You're right. You need the Spirit in your life to equip you to do it. To yasa. Maybe it's having a conversation with your child and you are afraid of what their response is going to be. And so it's gripping you and keeping you from saying what is true. And so you need to rely on the Spirit and His power to work in their life and in your life so that you can be obedient unto Him. Maybe it's some sort of conflict And the last thing you want in the world is to take a biblical step towards this person. You'd rather have the attitude, I'm just going to let the Spirit do it. But the Spirit 
is working in you to move towards them so that the gospel would be seen and heard through reconciliation. Will my spouse ever change? Will this person ever come to know the Lord? All these things. Yasa. What is the Spirit leading you to do? And as you hear from Him, remember 1 Samuel 11 that He has the power to redeem any situation. Trust Him. Depend on Him. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, we are going to trust You. We thank You that You have done a great work and You're going to continue it. Would You equip by Your Spirit and encourage these brothers and sisters in the body of Christ for Your glory?